as we think about what we uh, just heard. Lord, you are the creator of life. You knit us together in the wounds of our mothers. And you desire for us to have life. So also, Lord, your only begotten son took on our flesh in the wound of his mother and entered into this world as us all children of men do, except without sin. So that he might be the one with us and make us your children. Lord, look in mercy and love upon all the precious lives of children yet unborn. Guard them and give them growth that they might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, protect and guide all pregnant mothers that they would treasure the new life that they are given to bear and not be dismayed by fear of pain or cost. Lord, strengthen all fathers that they would protect and provide for both mother and child so that all would be cared for in this world. Encourage young people to get married and encourage husbands and wives to desire the gift of children that they might be fruitful and multiply according to your gracious will. Lord, I ask you to visit with your grace those who are who have committed the awful sin by destroying the life in the womb. Bring them to repentance, Lord, but do not let them sink into despair. Father, forgive and heal their souls that they would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who was killed for their sin and raised again to give everlasting life. Lord, you breathed at the beginning of all creation life into Adam and made him a living being. Lord, by your son, Jesus Christ, you redeemed Adam and all his descendants from sin and every corrupting effect. Which at last you will remove forever when creation is restored in the resurrection. Lord, convince us by your word and spirit of the value of all human life. Where life is fostered and preserved, let us give thanks. Where life is vulnerable and abused, give us courage. Where life is fragile and debilitated, give us compassion. And Lord, where life is injured and dying, point us in hope to the resurrection. Where he who does all things well will make all things new. And Lord, finally, I pray that those who don't know you will believe through faith in you. Turn the hearts of all who will not know you, who believe that they hold the power of life and death, and who trust in the choices of the sinful heart over the promises of your word. The doctors the clinics that participate in murdering babies. The organizations, the political parties that advocate for the murdering of children in the womb. 
will bring them into knowledge of what is good, that they may know the profound value of all human life, which you have created and have redeemed an everlasting truth. All human life, Lord, must come to face with the everlasting truth of salvation. In the offspring, Jesus Christ, who has crushed Satan's head forever. Lord, bring to repentance those who still desire to kill their babies. Lord, we thank you for organizations like Hope Women's Services here in Anniston and other women's services who help assist women who are in, in crisis and unplanned and unwanted pregnancies. Lord, may our churches and other churches like us and more churches continue to support them financially and other uh, ways, other campaigns to provide them with the services that they, they need to help serve women and, their, and the fathers of these children throughout our area. May we as a church continue to do this endeavor also. And Father, uh, I ask you this morning to look on Bob. I talked to him this morning. He's, he has another bout with COVID, Lord, that you may touch him and attend to him and, and heal him, Lord. He's had several bouts with it, but you brought him out of each one, Lord, and I pray that you do the same with our dear brother today and be with his wife, Mary Ann, also. He's very dear and near to our hearts. And Lord, we pray also for other churches this morning that are celebrating the sanctity of human life, that all of our churches, all of our members understand the biblical mandate to treat all human life from the moment of conception until the moment of death as sacred in your eyes. Give us holy boldness, Lord, to continue to proclaim and affirm uh, this message. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. As you turn to the book of Jeremiah and our service details, we going to look at the scripture before I formed you in the womb. I knew you. But before we do that, I wanted to um, bring attention to a couple of things that came across my way the last few weeks. One of them happened in Washington, D.C., in the U.S. Capitol building where Congress was uh, debating, which shows you how uh, far down the rabbit hole the, the culture of death has become, that our Congress has to debate on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. That there has to be a debate about whether babies who survive an attempted abortion should be able to live outside of the womb. 
and you have Congress debating whether that should be the case or not. And the reason this is uh, this this happened uh, last week. I remember seeing the news about this. If you watch certain news outlets, you won't see a story like this. I'll just say that. It says here just quickly, a, a freshman Democratic Congresswoman who identifies as evangelical or as a Christian cited a Bible verse, which we're going to read this morning, often used by pro-lifers when speaking this week against a Republican sponsored measure mandating medical care for infants born alive after an abortion. The Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act passed by a vote of 220 to 210 Wednesday, and this is uh, last Wednesday before last, in the U.S. House of Representatives and is awaiting a vote in the Senate. Over 200 Democrats voted against the measure, uh, but two uh, or three voted um, uh, for the measure. During remarks on the House floor Wednesday, Representative Hillary Shulton, a Democrat from Michigan, said that as a, quote, pro-life, I'm sorry, pro-choice Christian, which is a self-contradiction uh, self in and of itself, and a mother who lost a daughter to a complex miscarriage, the abortion issue is personal for her. And she said these words, and I quote, Further, when I read the scripture, I turn to passages, and I'm guided by passages like Jeremiah 1 and 5, which states, I knew you before, I'm sorry, I knew you before I formed you and placed you in your mother's womb, Shulton said. It doesn't say the government's womb or the speaker of the house's womb. It says the mother's womb. I believe life is precious, but I reject the idea that if I embrace the sanctity of life, I must also be forced to invite the federal government in to regulate it. The irony in that is that she used the very scripture that advocates for the life in the womb and at the same time trying to speak against or speak for the right to kill that life in the womb. So she uses various scriptures that we are going to look at this morning to justify that it's okay for babies to be killed in the womb. Now, the reason why we're talking about this is because, number one, this is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday, and this uh, Sunday was uh, chosen by uh, President Ronald Reagan during his administration uh, because 50 years ago today, to this date, back in January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court, it wasn't on a Sunday, of course, uh, but uh, January 22nd of 1973, the Supreme Court voted to enshrine abortion as legal in the United States 50 years ago to today, to the date. And we know that last summer, we talked about this when it happened, that Supreme Court voted to overturn Roe versus Wade, declaring that it was not a constitutional right. 49 years later, and here we are on the 50th anniversary of that uh, decision. So we talk about this because this is a very important issue to us as Christians. Because we, the Christian faith, the historical Christian faith, has valued human life from the moment of conception. 
And looking at our scripture here this morning, in Jeremiah, the first chapter, we know Jeremiah uh, was one of the great prophets of scripture. And God called Jeremiah to prophesy to Judah before they were to be taken into uh, exile because of their rebellion against God. So let's look at the book of Jeremiah here. We're going to begin at the first verse to give sort of a background to this book and also to Jeremiah. It says to begin at verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, so this is God speaking. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. When you look at the beginning of scripture, we always have to begin with God. We talk about that with every argument, everything that we want to defend, everything that we want to advocate for as believers. We must start from the beginning. The very first words of the Bible, when you open up scripture and look at Genesis 1 and 1, it says, in the beginning, God. The eternal, self-existent God has always existed. There was never a time when God was not. God doesn't gain knowledge. God doesn't learn any new thing. God is just is. He is the eternal being. He is the eternal creator. Scripture opens up by saying, in the beginning, God. And what did God do? He created. God is the sole creator of everything. The Bible says he created the heavens and the earth. That is the most consequential statement in all of human history. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So Genesis 1 and 2 and uh, all throughout sacred scripture radically challenges the prevailing worldviews of our culture, the secular worldview, the anti-Christian, anti-biblical worldview that reduces human beings to specks of evolution or bags of chemicals. You have some people that think we're just fizzing bags of chemicals. You have some people that believe that we're not even living in reality. You're just a clump of cells with skin on it. Which devalues human life. Genesis 1 and 2 and all of Scripture stand against every attempt to reduce life 
to a meaningless series of sensations. That's what the Bible does. But what these scriptures do do is they stand for the beauty and sacred character of every human life. When you look at the end part of Genesis 1, you will see scripture testify that in the image of God, we were made. Let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he made them male and female. He created them. God is the creator of human life. And even when man fell, when sin came to the world in Genesis 3, God reached out to guarantee the significance and sacred character of human life by telling Eve. He tell her about the promised seed who was Christ in Genesis, I think it's 3 in about the 15th verse, he promised her a seed and that seed was Christ. And that seed would reverse the curse of sin and bring human beings back to life spiritually. So from the beginning, we see that God is intent on human life. And God also condemns the taking of human life in Genesis 4 when we see the first murder where Cain slew his brother Abel. And we see a condemnation of that. And God protects human life that was made in his image. We see that in Genesis 9. So we see through all of scripture where human life is valuable to God. Just as Wayne Gruden was saying in the video that we looked at, if a man accidentally caused a woman to miscarry and lose her baby, uh, as is written in Genesis, I mean, Exodus 31, that they got capital punishment if he accidentally did it. Just think what the penalty would be if you purposefully murdered a child in the womb or caused the murder of a baby in a mother's womb. If you think about it, in most jurisdictions in our nation, if you kill a woman and she's pregnant and the baby dies, they charge you with two murders. Why? Because there's dignity. Where does that come from? That didn't just come out of the middle of nowhere. That didn't come through evolution. That came from the law of God written on all of our hearts because we know deep down inside that that baby inside of that mother is a person that that baby has personhood because that baby is created and conceived as as an image bearer of God that's why you have laws like that but man still tries in all of his fortitude to deny that but you can't hide it just because you deny it doesn't mean that it's not true. Amen. So I was just looking at a few principles from this text this morning. Number one, before God formed Jeremiah, he knew him. The thing about Jeremiah is that he didn't ask to be a prophet. When he was born, he had no idea that he was going to be a 
prophet. Just as we talked about Abraham, 75 years old, God called him out of Ur and gave him a covenant and told him that he was going to be, he was going to make him the father of many nations. All the nations of the world would be blessed through you. Abraham had no idea his first 74 years that he was going to become the patriarch of a whole nation of people. He had no idea. Jeremiah didn't know that he was going to be a prophet. He perhaps didn't want to be a prophet. He knew very well that he was not qualified to be a prophet. And, and as you read the book of Jeremiah, if you have it, it's a great book to read. You will see that he struggled with that calling. But God made him a prophet anyway. God told him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before Jeremiah was even conceived. Think about that. Before he was conceived. Before he was fertilized in his mother's womb, God knew all about his life. God knew that Jeremiah was going to preach during Judah's most troubled times when they were in rebellion against God. And God was sending all these prophets to Judah to call them back to him. All these evil kings that were uh, ruling over these people. God kept sending prophet after prophet after prophet. And they were not hearing those prophets. So here comes Jeremiah also. They called Jeremiah the weeping prophet for a reason. But God knew that he was going to call him to do that. God knew that little nations like Judah were nothing but pawns in a power struggle. Because you had three uh, kingdoms at that time who were trying to take over Judah. You had the Egyptians, you had the Assyrians, and you had the Babylonians. The Assyrians had already taken the northern kingdom away about 160 years uh, before in uh, 722 uh, BC. The Assyrians under Shalmaneser V had come in and taken the northern tribes away, the northern ten tribes of Israel. And scattered them throughout the known world. And so you had the southern kingdom who was Judah who was left. And you had the Egyptians, the Babylonians, and the Assyrians who were, who were vying, fighting with each other to see who was going to take over this nation and bring them into the empire. He was going to be a prophet through all of that. And God knew that Jeremiah would lose the one person in power. To whom he could rely. And that was King Josiah. Josiah was, was the one he could rely on. But Josiah died in the battlefield. In the midst of one of those struggles. Those wars against those other nations. God knew that a hateful king. That came after him. Would take the book that was. Jeremiah's life work. And rip it up to shreds. Because that's what happened to him. And threw it away piece by piece into the fire. Jeremiah had great struggles as the prophet of God. But guess what? God still called him because what? He knew him. He had a purpose for his life. That was to bring him glory. There's a purpose that God has for every single unborn baby. Every single unborn baby. Since 1973, over 60 million babies have been murdered in abortion clinics throughout this land. That is a genocide. 
Let that number sink into your head if you do your math. That's about 1.2 million babies a year on average. A year. On average, that's about 100,000 babies a month being murdered, sucked out, dismembered, brain sucked out, necks broken in their mother's womb. And you know what happens to most of them? We looked at this video last year. A lot of them are used for medical waste and research. God has a purpose for every child that is conceived. He had a purpose for Jeremiah. God knew that he would carry Jeremiah through all those troubles. Why? Because God knew him. God ordained him. He knew that Jeremiah would serve his Lord on earth while suffering, but then rejoiced when he got to the end of his life and knew that he did what God had called him to do. God had a great purpose for him. He knew him in his mother's womb. Right now, Jeremiah is eternally grateful in heaven for what God allowed him to go through by ordaining him. Had his mother decided to murder him in the womb, none of that would ever happen with it. Next, before the father formed Jesus, he knew him. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. But he, Mary went through the nine months of gestation just like any other mother does. He didn't just pop out of the oven, you know. <laughs> at nine months no he was conceived of the Holy Spirit so that he could be without sin we already talked about that but Jesus in his mother's womb went through the gestation period just as all babies do because remember Jesus was fully God and fully man as deity he was fully man he went through the stages of prenatal development in the womb. And like Jeremiah, who was a type of Christ, Jesus would get into trouble for speaking the Lord's word. The father knew that Jesus would be rejected by his hometown, that they would try to throw him off a cliff, as did happen in his earthly ministry, that they would take up stones to stone him. But Jesus walked through their midst unharmed. The father knew that the most important people in Jerusalem would plot to kill the son of God. And eventually they would succeed. The father knew that Jesus would never have a real home. One man came to Jesus and said, uh, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, 
but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't have a permanent residence. He was basically an itinerant preacher. He ran, ran around and stayed with, with friends. He didn't have a, 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 a home, a permanent home. And the father knew that. The father also knew that Jesus' closest friends would desert him in his greatest moment of need. My mind harkens back to the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying the night before he was to be betrayed by Judas. And he asked his disciples to, to tear with me for an hour. And when he finished praying and came back, he found them what? Asleep. He said, you cannot tarry with me for an hour. He says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. His, his, his closest friends. One of his closest disciples, Peter, what did he do? He betrayed him. He denied him three times. At the moment of his crucifixion, none of them were around. But the father also knew that Jesus' death was the way that he would keep us sinners from having to spend all eternity in hell. He knew that. He knew that Jesus would take on our sin to take on our guilt. To take our death and to give us eternal life by giving of himself, by dying on the cross, dying in our place for our sins. The father knew this when Jesus was conceived. He knew this before our Lord Jesus Christ was conceived. He knew that his son would be patient and kind with us. And not boastful and arrogant and self-seeking. Jesus proclaimed in John the 5th chapter. He did not come to do his own will. But the will of him who sent me. God the father knew this when God the son was conceived in his mother's womb. He knew that Jesus would show us a love that is wider and deeper and higher than any love that we could ever experience. Think about this. Our culture has determined that even a two or three day old zygote, and our high school students should definitely know what a zygote is if you took biology. A zygote is when the uh, egg is conceived it forms a zygote y'all know that from biology right students probably forgot right like, what is a zygote you all should know more than anybody else <laughs> but our culture has determined that a two or three day old zygote is an insignificant life that must surrender and be snuffed out if the woman doesn't want it That's what they determined. The 
Think about that worldview. We always talk about this worldviews. Take their logic to its conclusion. So if a culture thinks that a two or three day old baby that's just been conceived is not worthy of life. This same culture must say that the Lord Jesus Christ, who for nine months lived within his mother's womb from fertilization to birth is also insignificant. That's the logic of that worldview. I'm going to run that back one more time. A culture that believes that a newly conceived egg, newly fertilized egg, a culture that believes that that egg that has just been conceived and fertilized is not worthy of life is insignificant. They, using their own logic, they must believe that the Lord Jesus Christ who lived nine months in his mother's womb from being a fertilized cell to being born is also insignificant. They would say, well, if Mary didn't want Jesus, then she could abort him. If he was a unwanted pregnancy, an unplanned pregnancy. That would have they would, if if they're consistent with their own logic, right? That's what they would have to say. That's how evil that worldview is. From the moment that egg is fertilized, that fertilized cell, that zygote, attaches to the uterine wall of that mother that is a life. Right then. That's when life begins. Not at three months. One, one thing that the. Uh, you, you probably hear the term. Trimesters. That's not a biblical term. That, that was one of the arguments that was made. For abortion. In the Roe versus Wade decision. They talked about first, second and third trimesters. That it's okay to abort a baby. In the first trimester. The first three months. Because they'll say uh, the baby doesn't have viability, like couldn't survive out of the womb. And then anything the third trimester was considered a late term abortion. Oh, no, we can't do that. You know, that's that's too late. But what difference does it make whether it's six months or one day old? It is still a life. It is still a person. And the thing about abortion, and I'm talking about this here, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But my point is, even Jesus himself, God knew him before, in a, in a physical sense, because he was conceived. He knew him before he formed him in his mother's womb. And then my last two principles here focus on us. You, before God formed you, he knew you. Look at Psalm 139 right quick. This is David speaking. I was reading this and listening to a sermon on this uh, scripture this morning when I was uh, getting ready. Look at Psalm 139. 
Look at verse 13. Mm. This is David writing. He says, For you formed, this is beginning at verse 13 of Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together where? In my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. And remember, this was in ancient times where they didn't have ultrasound. They didn't know how it looked inside a womb, but he knew that life existed inside of his mother's womb. He says, when I was being made a secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. You see how precious a baby is in the womb of his mother. Intricately woven. You're not some cosmic accident. You're not just a bag of fizzing chemicals. You are intricately woven in your mother's womb. In the mind of God, before you were even conceived, God had you in mind. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. God knew you before all of creation. He had you in mind. That's how valuable your life is. But yet you have people who are advocating for snuffing that life out. God isn't stupid, people. God is not mocked. God knew before we were born that we were sinners in need of salvation. God had every reason to give up on us. He had every reason to wash his hands of all humanity after Adam and Eve's sin. He had every reason to do that if he wanted to because he's God. God had every reason to scrap this world and start over if he wanted to. Because man had messed up so badly when he sinned. But instead of aborting us, what did God do instead? He decided to adopt us as his own through salvation. Those of us who are saved, we are adopted into God's family. Before you were born, before you were even conceived, God knew exactly how he was going to bring you to faith. If you're a believer in here today, God knew exactly how you, you were going to come to faith in him before you were even born. That's how valuable 
we are to God. He knew who was going to witness to you, what gospel you were going to hear from whom, and how that was going to bring you to faith in his son. You may not even remember the first time you came to faith, but God knows. Why? Because before he formed you, he knew you. He had it all planned out. (laughs) Man, before your parents even knew each other. Before your grandparents ever heard of each other. God knew all along that he was going to make you his child. He knew all along that you were going to be born. He knows that because that's how special and precious we are. God loves you so deeply that he had your salvation planned before you were a twinkle in your father and mother's eye. That's why David said, how precious are my thoughts of uh, are your thoughts of me? That's how precious we are in God's eyes. Even before we're even conceived. Before God forms any child. He knows her or him. Every child who has ever been conceived. God has a plan for them before they're even formed. Every single child. Again sometimes we think of abortion as a political issue. That has no place in the pulpit. If it was a pure political issue, then guess what? It would have no place in the pulpit. But God's word has something to say about it. We just read two scriptures that speak about the value of life in the womb. That decision back in Jan- on January 22nd, 1973 One of the things that the Supreme Court majority ruled was that unborn children are not persons in the whole sense. And that is the new fight right now. If you don't believe in the personhood of a baby in the womb, then you believe that that baby can be killed because you're not killing a person. Abortion is not just a political issue. It is it is pre-political, meaning the, the, the dignity of life in the womb existed before there were any political structures. I tweeted this out back uh, May the 3rd, 2022. This was uh, around the time that that decision came out. I said abortion is a theological issue before it is a political issue. It is murder. As Christians, we must see it as such. There's no middle ground. Either babies in the womb are image bearers of God and worthy of dignity in life, or they are not. That's the bottom line. There is no in between. Either you see that baby in that mother's womb as an image bearer of God, or you don't. There's no third way there's no 
in between. Either that baby is a person made in the image of God. What difference does it make between one inch up the canal and one inch outside of the canal? There is no difference. That baby doesn't all of a sudden become a person when it's born. As I said earlier, in that case, they wouldn't prosecute double murder if a woman who is pregnant is killed and her baby dies. Think about the, the, uh, the Lacey Peterson murder that happened, uh, what, 10, 12 years ago? When her husband, uh, you know, she went missing and they, you know, her body washed up ashore and they found out that, that she was pregnant and they charged him with two capital murder charges because she was with child. But the secular worldview is inconsistent because it's not based on objective biblical truth. It's based on the whims of people's feelings and, and trends in the culture. But biblical truth, friends, states that abortion is the taking of a life. Because that is a person inside that mother's womb. So it's not just a political issue, not just a Democratic versus Republican issue. The Supreme Court said that they're not persons in a whole sense, like they're not fully persons. Like, what do they mean by that? Don't you know that uh, Adolf Hitler said that about Jewish people to justify the Holocaust? He said that they were not uh, persons in the same sense that the Aryans were. That's why he justified the genocide of the Jews because he said that they're not persons. They don't have the same dignity as Aryans do. The Dred Scott decision that happened uh, post-Civil War said the African-Americans were not persons in the same sense as white people, that they were three-fifths of a person. It was overturned, but that was the Dred Scott decision in the uh, late uh, 1800s. And the Supreme Court said the same thing about babies in the womb, that they're not persons in the whole sense. The atheist uh, professor at Princeton University named uh, Peter Singer, he said that at least for the first month after birth that children are born, parents should be able to put to death any child who was born with any kind of defect. And one writer here said, if you accept the Supreme Court's argument that we as humans can set an arbitrary time when a child becomes a whole person. Mr. Singer's argument makes perfect sense logically. He goes on to say, if we could decide that whole personhood doesn't begin until after, let's say, the first trimester in the womb, why can't we argue that whole personhood doesn't begin until after the first month out of the womb? What difference does it make? That's 
how their logic works. So Peter Singer is saying he's one of these people that thinks that certain people shouldn't be living. They're not worthy of life because they would be a burden on society like a child that's born with Down syndrome. Or a child that has a disability where they, they have to be taken care of by their parents, by the medical system. They believe that people like that are not even worthy of living. That's what he's saying in his argument. You have people who actually believe that, that they're undesirables. You have some countries like Iceland, Sweden, and Norway. They abort children when they find out that they have, when they do the amniocentesis and find out that they have Down syndrome, they abort them because they don't want anyone with Down syndrome in their society. Because they don't see them as persons. You see how evil this worldview is? If you believe that a woman has a right to murder her child, you have to accept all those arguments. Because what difference is it going to make if you don't see that baby as a person? All bets are off when you reject God and what God has said about us. If you don't believe that we're all made in the image of God, all bets are off. All bets are off. Might as well release the hounds. If you don't believe that every single baby that is conceived is an image bearer of God. That's how we as believers have to look at this. Because if they're not a person in the womb, a month outside the womb, what about a year? What about 10 years? You have nations now like Canada. They have legalized euthanasia, assisted suicide, which is assisted murder. And what happens north flows south. Do you know that in ancient Rome, during the first uh, few centuries after Christ, that if a father didn't want the baby, they would simply throw that child on a trash heap outside the city? That's what they would do. That's what the Romans, the Romans were very barbaric. That happens to one baby every 22 seconds in the United States. That baby is sucked out, cut out, killed, put in bags and uh, containers, and shipped off for medical waste. And I'm sorry, I'm not doing this gratuitously uh, to be very detailed, but I'm just showing you a lot of people don't know the horrors of what takes place when women go into these clinics to have their babies murdered. And what happens to those babies. And what happens to those women. They don't tell you this. But those women are going to need counseling for the rest of their life. They may not get it. But they need it. They're always going to live with the grief. Of being the mother of a dead child. That they let some doctor. Talk them into killing. 
They're always going to have that grief. And we're going to get to that where God does forgive and God does show grace. But in ancient Rome, if a father didn't want the child, they would throw the baby on a trash heap. But guess what? Christians during that time would arrive at night and rescue those little children and care for them. Christians did that in the first century, in the second century, in third century Rome. If they heard those babies crying on those trash heaps outside the city, Christians would come to the consternation of those parents that didn't want their babies. And Christians would take those babies in for themselves. That is a testimony to the Christian belief in the dignity of all human life. That no baby is worth just discarding on a trash heap. These Christians knew firsthand about being adopted into God's family. People talk about the right to choose. The right to choose what? You hear the argument. The right to choose what's being defended is the right to choose to kill a life that God formed in the womb. We're not comfortable saying it, but that's what the truth is. It's the right to kill a life that God has formed in the womb. That's what these people are fighting for. Friends, abortion is murder. That's the bottom line. You're taking a human life. That's murder, right? Again, you have to see that baby as a what? Human. And as Christians, we affirm that. So you hear people say, you hear women say, my body what? My choice. How many bodies are present? One or two? When you see a picture, a model of a woman's belly, you see the mom and then you see what? The baby. That's a body, right? It's not a clump of cells. So it's not your body, your choice. You have a body inside of you. You have a person growing, gestating, matriculating inside of your womb. That at the appointed time that God uh, selects is going to come forth and bring forth breath and life. And who's always left out the equation? The fathers. You never hear them talk about the fathers. They always say it's the word woman's right to choose. What about the father? How many people does it take to conceive? Two. We're not asexual where we reproduce ourselves. Like some plants do and some animals in animal kingdom do. It takes two to conceive, not one. But you never hear talk of the fathers and what the fathers want. Because feminism has lied to us and told us all about the mother. 
So as we get ready to land this plane here, we show our love in a lot of ways. We don't want to stand by idly while people, women, and sometimes fathers are making that choice to cure their babies. We can't stand by idly while babies are dying helplessly in abortion. God's love came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us we worship the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, all our mind, all of our strength, rather, and to love our neighbor as ourself. God's love for us reaches unborn children. It reaches the parents of those who are uh, parents of those who are unborn. God does love parents who are considering abortion. He loves them. He loves parents who have already carried out an abortion as much as he loves their children. And what we ought to do is show love to them also and show them the path forward that their lives are still redeemable. That their lives are still worth it. There are many ways that we can uh, show love. We can uh, elect people who would change our laws. Now we, we do know that while laws cannot change the human heart, they can restrain human evil to an extent. We vote for people who want babies to be born, <laughs> okay? Not people who want more babies to be murdered. You can speak for those who can't speak for themselves. You can participate in rallies. We don't usually have any around here. You can contribute to the Christ Pregnancy Center like our, our church does and will continue to do. Uh, Hope Women's Services, Save a Life down here on uh, Layton. And as I said earlier, I volunteer there, uh, ministering to men, fathers of women that they're serving and whose babies they're saving. My, my, one of my jobs and another pastor there is to disciple these young men if, if they're not saved, to bring them to saving faith in Christ, but also show them what their biblical role is as fathers. One, if you're not married, get married. Don't live in sin with the mother of your children and to be a good father provide you can't provide by being on child support that's not providing that's just giving money so that's what we're, we're that's what me and another pastor there are are doing another thing we could do is to uh, work to help people understand why abortion isn't just sinful but is also bad for our society Abortion fosters a culture of death instead of a love of life. Because if you don't care about the baby in the womb, you can easily advocate for murdering people while they're alive if they're undesirable. Because to that mother, that baby's undesirable, right? So, so what, you know, they can say the same thing about their one-month-old baby or their one-day-old baby. 
I don't want to be a mother anymore. We could tell people about the life given to us by Jesus. About his love that never ends. We can tell them. That no matter where they are in life or what's going on in their life, that their lives have value because they are made in the image of God. A lot of people need to hear that. We have a lot of people, especially unbelievers, who are struggling with their identity. They don't see their life as worth anything. They think they made a mess of their life. They look at all these Facebook posts and Instagram posts and see how other people's fake lives are. And they, they wish that their lives were like that. No, you look up to your creator. You are made in the image of God, man, woman and child, young people. You are made in the image of God because you're made in God's image. Guess what? Your life has value. Your life has worth. Your life has worth. I don't care what any person tells you. No matter what circumstances you're in, your life has value because you are made in the image of Almighty God. That's a message that we can tell people. And we can tell them that that baby in the womb is the same way that that baby has that same value. And I want to end with this. I took time to write this and it was hard. (laughs) Considering all that we just heard. It's simply unthinkable that one would degrade life or take life at any moment of his existence. On conception to the moment of death, life is a gift from God to be respected and protected. And this is a wonderful privilege for us as Christians. To paint the canvas of human significance with the image of Christ who redeemed all of human life by his perfect life. His atoning death, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection. Each and every one of us can rejoice that our life is the cause for joy in heaven as we turn to God in repentance. And we are to go forth with this good news to everyone else. If we know women who are pregnant, encourage them. Let them know the value of the life that they're carrying inside their womb. If you know someone who's struggling in their pregnancy and, and has questions and doubts, guess what? Go to them as a believer and encourage them. Uh, point them to uh, uh, save a life down here on, on Layton. Point them to that. That there are resources. If they need help, they need financial help. I mean, they provide everything down there. They got diapers, clothes, the baby bottles and stuff and all that that we're uh, raising for them. They provide uh, financial help, and they provide them with other resources to help them during that time. We have a good and gracious God who created this world and gave us life. May we as believers... Respect that life. Amen. And we're going to pray and then uh, have communion and then do our doxology. Let us pray. Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of of scripture. 
Lord, thank you that you created and blessed all life with your abundant care and mercy. Lord, make us all ever mindful of the many blessings you've given us in this life. Lord, move us to share your word, your truth, that all life is precious. May we work to protect and support women who are pregnant. May we continue to advocate for all the unborn and also the elderly and those who are suffering in their body and don't think that their lives are worth living. Lord, help us to see that all of life is precious and valuable to you and that all of us are worthy of dignity as your image bearers. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.